Welcome to the Teens Talk podcast created by the Student Virtual Board of You Celebrate Diversity. You Celebrate Diversity supports students and teachers organizing locally, educating themselves and their peers, and taking action for inclusion and social justice. For more information, visit ycdiversity.org. Welcome back to season two, which is all about community building. Today, join with me is Ellie Younger, where we'll be discussing community and disability. and welcome back to another episode of Teens Talk. Um, this season is about community building. Community is the backbone of culture. The right community provides you with much needed love and support. Everyone needs a community and it can look different all over the world. The important thing is building a community with the right intention as well as understanding the possible obstacles you could face. Join with me is Ellie Young. Um, I will let you introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, all right. My name is Ellie. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am a senior at University of Michigan, or I guess not really a senior. I'm graduating this weekend, so I don't really know what my grade is. Um, and I'm currently studying, or I just finished studying psychology. Um, I love to read. I'm passionate about um, creating a better world. Um, and I, I, I'm excited to be here today. Well, I'm even more excited to have you here. Um, of course, no, I, I'm, uh, I've heard a lot about, you know, some of the things you're passionate about, like you said, I, I wanted to kind of start just with asking, what are some of the, I guess, I don't want to just say clubs, programs, or organizations, but like, what are some kind of, um, groups maybe, or communities you're a part of that kind of advocate or work towards some of the things that you're passionate about? Yeah. So some of the things I'm a part of, um, a big one is, um, I work at the office of student conflict resolution, at my school, which is really um, one of the coolest things I've done, being able to work, we have like, um, we work with people, faculty, students, anyone who comes to the office who has a conflict, we help them use different conflict mediation skills, using restorative justice techniques to solve their conflict. Um, one of my biggest wins this year was I um, got the office. I jumped through so many hoops, so many barriers, and I finally got the office to get a new accessible machine-operated door. Um, so we're finally going to be accessible for, for people to enter our office, which is something that I've been working on for a long time. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm also part of um, our school's um, sexual assault awareness a prevention and awareness center our bystander intervention um section of that where i like basically give workshops to different groups of people in bystander intervention um and then i've been a part of some other clubs here and there i've been hr director on a, like what like a club i did for fun i've participated in the spectrum center events which is for lgbtq groups and i've participated in um some different like support groups that have helped me build community. Well, that's insanely impressive and amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that and congratulations on all of that. Um, a lot of thank big, you. of course, a lot of big things there. I, I, I know, men, noticed you mentioned, um, getting, you said an accessible door, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you know, this episode's really mostly about disability, um, you know, obstacle services, just disabilities in general um, that people maybe may not be able to see or even know about. And, you know, we're going to get into all of that, but I just wanted to know, like, um, thinking that that's an obstacle, what, what made you first feel inclined to, to make this um, accessible, more and more accessible? Like, how did you yeah. know that this was an issue? So I, um, I had um, a person on my staff who was like, you know, talking about like accessibility in the office. And I was like, yeah, is, is the office fully accessible? Um, like, I know we talk about using accessible language. Like we have presentations all the time on how to use accessible language. I gave a presentation, like my uh, summer project last summer was on disability justice versus disability rights. Um, and I gave a presentation on how we can incorporate disability justice and disability rights into our office. Um, so like I know we talk about it in our office but we've never like talked about whether our office is accessible and I'm like this is something that I should have known before but like is it and my one of my coworkers was like I'm gonna look into it so we started this project it initially started with them like getting the door measured and then they passed it off to me and so the door was measured so it like fits um we know it fits the wheelchair but um 
ultimately we realize like when you're coming to an office to solve a conflict like it's a conflict resolution office you shouldn't meet another conflict when you come to the front door so we were like we have to make this successful um, part of it is i was reading a book year of the tiger by alice wong who's a really no well-known um, disability activist and she was talking about how one of the things that she considers every time she walks um or she she goes outside is um like when she leaves her house will the place she's going to like have a door open will they have a machine operated door will someone hold the door for her so that she can get through on her wheelchair so when I read her book um I started thinking about like oh my gosh like our office we don't always have the door open we need to make sure people can get through and that's why I work to make the door accessible Thank you. I, I love that you also saw that, you know, yourself being like, this is a, you know, place for people to come to, you know, right. you're out problems and then they have another. I love that you you mentioned that because mm -hmm. I actually now, of course, I recognize this is, you know, nowhere near having a long term disability or, you know, it was just, for no. but, you know, like just recently I broke my foot. Right. And right. I walked for a few months and, you know, my campus is unfortunately very inaccessible. So I was just like walking upstairs in crutches. Like yeah. it was just insane. Yeah. I, I just saw, I realized I was like, wait a minute, this is the first time I actually realized like there are, I don't really see any disabled people around here. Like I, and I, I realized I was like, wow, like I have so much privilege. I don't even notice that. Like I didn't yeah, realize exactly. how, right. Like I didn't realize how hard it was to even, you know, get around until I broke my foot. And so, okay. you know, that's what really got me, you know, really interested in learning about this and trying to connect with someone that might, you know, have way more to offer since I'm just now learning about it. But, um, yeah, one of the things you talked about was you said disability justice versus disability rights. Can you can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah. So obviously I'm not an expert. Um, I, I have taken classes on it and I've read about it a lot and I'm very passionate about it. But basically disability rights is fighting for like rights like the ADA, um, accessibility, that sort of thing. Um, and disability justice is fighting for liberation of disabled bodies. And it's fighting for liberation of every body mind, which is like the body and the mind as an interconnected um, experience and it's fighting for everybody in general so the movement of disability justice was created by um, and I am blanking on their names um, but it was created by queer trans people of color who are disabled and they want that movement to continue to be led by people who are people of color are queer and trans are disabled they don't want it to be like co-opted like disability rights has been by a lot of cishet able-bodied men or or cishet disabled men so it's sort of a movement that um like it has 10 tenets or 10 principles um that say things like um what we're fighting for with disability justice such as like um um basically the principles that you don't leave any body behind. Um, it understands that like, we have to fight outside of capitalism. Um, everybody is worthy, sort of things like that. And that's what disability justice is. And that's why I really respect disability justice. Yeah, I actually, you know, never really heard about that distinction until just now. So I'm, yeah. you know, I love that you brought that up because that I think is with a lot of movements in general, just, how often so many different movements get co-opted by privileged people or at least the privileged exactly. of those groups yes and you know it, yeah. it creates you know even uh, a smaller space for the other ones trying to to join I I like that you brought that up and you I also remember you brought up you know just you said you said uh body and mind and that actually started to make me think there are a lot of disabilities that are almost like just not visual or silent like people don't know somebody's disabled so I wanted to actually talk about that because I know there's disabilities you know physical disabilities where you can't you know you're not able-bodied you know you can't physically walk or do certain things but then there's also of course mental disabilities and um, I know a lot of people focus on the more common things like depression and anxiety but I also know there are a lot of different kinds so I was wondering have you ever you know kind of seen I guess I guess my question is when it comes to the silent disabilities that people don't really mm -hmm. you know off jump um have you noticed um that there might be more of a community there or less of a community or do people feel you know comfortable enough to talk about that or have you seen um other ways that people with silent you know disabilities are just um aren't able to really find community or talk about it 
Yeah, I think it's really hard. Like as someone, um, I've called it invisible disabilities, but I like I like your term of silent disability too. Um, um, struggle to find community, and I think it takes a little bit more work. But it also, I want to recognize that as someone who like I have invisible disabilities, like both physical and mental disabilities, um, I am privileged because I'm less a lot less likely to be like harassed on the street or anything. I'm more able pa passing. Um, but I it does make it harder for, to find communities. Um, one thing that I've found really like really helpful is support groups. So I've done like um, a couple different outpatient support groups through therapy for um, different like um, mental illnesses and mental health issues that has been really supportive. So I've done ones that are like um, like open to anyone with depression, anxiety. I've done some that are like um, depression, anxiety, and then also like other issues and that um, I fit into those categories as well. And then I've done some like support groups for like survivors of sexual assault, where a lot of people there have PTSD and that creates, a, um, yeah, it's a very difficult environment, but it like creates a, a good community of support for people. Um, and I think those environments are important to find like, and I realize now like you it's hard to find the right support group like I joined this one support group that was for um LGBTQ plus people with chronic pain and I was super excited about it and it was very much not the right fit for me so I really want to validate how you're so right about it. it's really challenging to find that community because um sometimes you're going to join a group and maybe they won't be like people might not be as validating or people might use terms you don't like for me they use the term pain warriors and I don't want to be considered a warrior I like I'm just trying to live my life I, I I don't want to be fighting this pain every day like I um I don't want to be compared just like a soldier or something like that I just want to be a person so I didn't like being called a pain warrior and that's why I left the group but um I think there have been so many great outlets of spaces where disabled people come together um and I'm still looking to build more community um as I exit college um, but I found a lot of great spaces through support groups. No, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that some people think that, you know, I I think that's the whole point of trying to find community is that it's okay if you like, you know, try and then try again and it's still, you're not mm -hmm. finding them yet. Like, I think that's just life, honestly, because whether it's um a very focused goal or focused kind of group or just trying to find a friend group, you know, you vibe with them, you don't, you move on. And yeah. Um, I really want to encourage anyone watching or listening to um, please continue to try to find community because I, the whole point of this podcast is about, um, it's, it's about connection. You know, people need people, you know, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what those people look like or, you know, mean to you, but you just need people, you know, and I just feel like we're stronger in numbers, but as you were talking about that, I actually wanted to talk, you know, and we can first start with, um, where we just left off with the invisible disability, which is, please, thank you. That was what I was trying to find. I was like, I know the word, but I couldn't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but um, we'll start off with the invisible disabilities, but what are some of the most common obstacles you you know, you either faced yourself or have seen or have heard be kind of a common obstacle for people um, with invisible disabilities um, outside of just, you know, support groups and trying to find community? Um, Definitely, I think what we've already covered is a big one, but I think another one is, um people making assumptions about you so for instance it's really helpful when someone says something like you're not disabled you look like you're not disabled well what does disability look like you can't assume anyone is disabled or non-disabled because we don't know what disability looks like disability doesn't look one way um additionally i think it's really one of the big things is when someone takes the elevator instead of the stairs or when someone sits down on a public transportation or something like that uh, I know a lot of people who get angry they're like that person is sitting down and they don't have a disability or that person is taking the elevator one flight of stairs and they could have walked like you don't actually know invisible disabilities exist we need to stop like assessing the people around each other and instead focus on our own lives and how we can help each other um, there's these things that are part of care of of um of disability justice, which is called care networks, where we um, basically provide resources for each other 
and it's sort of like community services, community health, um, community care. So it's it's this idea that like if someone needs um, groceries one day, another disabled person might go get them for it. And then one day that person might need medicine and the other person might bring them to that. And it's not charity. It's 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 support for each other. Um, so that's something that I try to think of often as um, a solution to a lot of these barriers is like visible disability people might have problems come up in the form of pain, in the form of um, inability to like get healthcare or doctor's appointments, you know, like all of the same um, things that like disabled people deal with on the regular of like, we're, we're dealing with ableism in our society. We're dealing with um, like all the other systemic problems that a person might deal with based on their identity. So we have to work as a community to take care of each other. And before I ask about, you know, some of the um, obstacles that come with, you know, being, I guess, physically disabled, I really, I want to, you know, I really want to ask, you said that there, an example of how you guys support each other was going out and buying food for each other, um, or, which I think is also amazing, especially in mm-hmm. times where, like, we just came back, you know, we had a pandemic where, you know, yeah. was, a lot of people had to use, you know, sources like that if they were sick or if they're, you mm-hmm. know, compromised or whatever, but um, are there, are there other ways that maybe you haven't covered that, you know, you guys also support each other? Because I just, first of all, I think that's really sweet and amazing, um, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. a big one is that I think, um, it depends on the people's level of care needs and access needs. Um, but some people will have care attendants. Some people will have um, just have other people who come support them. Some people will um, have times where they need like GoFundMe's or resources sent to them just to like make ends meet for um, for medical bills because healthcare is really expensive or or whatever they need um, and just trying to like as a disabled person know like or at least I try like at some point this could be me so like if I have the money I'm gonna try and donate to that like um, just um, trying to support um, why am I blanking on the word um, it's fine I'll remember it like later yeah, if I need like a you know a couple seconds, like don't worry, I can always edit out like the the breaks, like don't oh, even worry. Like, okay, you know. so we can move yeah. on. But you just let me know if you ever need a break. Yeah, don't worry about it. Mutual okay. aid. Yeah, trying to support like mutual aids. <laughs> That's amazing. I you know I I wanted to see. I think this is actually something I've also asked in some of the other episodes because I'm trying to figure out ways people can like actually try to help people without just you know posting <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. In- Mm -hmm. on Instagram you know so I actually I feel like there's the ways you just said like that's as simple as that if you maybe have like a neighbor if you know someone who yeah I I personally yeah like I I personally have a really close family member who you know um is disabled right now um and I've just I've honestly just seen how beautiful it is to that even in her like you know older age all of her best friends growing up come over every single day take care of her Mm -hmm. her food Mm -hmm. like nobody you know they always check in on her and that's something Mm -hmm. that makes me feel you know if I ever you know if that ever happened to me I would want to feel like I have people by my side but um, yeah moving on to to some of the obstacles I think you know physically disabled people face I wanted Uh to talk more about that you know not just about ramps or um you know maybe doors but are there some other um, obstacles people don't even that people don't even really think about um because that's that's just my that was my experience like I just started learning all these different things and I was like wow like why don't I know more about this but yeah yeah I think ramps and doors are big ones especially like People with like mobility aids will have issues with those. Um, I think one thing that's been an issue for me is like I um, I have a physical disability, but it's invisible as I mentioned. But um, I live in Michigan now, and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so now I moved to a place where it's very snowy, and uh, like the sidewalks need to be clear for people with mobility aids. So if you use like a wheelchair or a cane. Um, it's important to clear the sidewalks. That said, I live in a part of town where my sidewalks aren't clear. I thought that would be fine because I don't, I don't use mobility aids um, at, at this current time. I might in the future. Unfortunately, navigating the very snowy, icy sidewalks is really, really painful for me. Um, and for a lot of people, it can be dangerous if you slip or you fall. Um, it can cause 
more injuries. So that's one big thing is the change in weather. Um, also just weather in general often makes my body like the pain act up. Um, so that's a big barrier. I also think um, other barriers are like um, buildings that like have slants. Like um, I have a friend whose mom is coming to graduation and she's nervous about coming because she needs total knee replacement, but um, the entire building is like on a slant like this. Um, and so it, that like walking downhill can be really hard. Uh, I think there are a lot of really big barriers out there, a lot of really big obstacles that people face that like, um, you, the hard thing is that people oftentimes don't really think about these things or have empathy for these things until you experience it. And that's really unfortunate. And I'm really grateful for when people do start to understand, but I wish that people like learned about these things earlier, which is why I'm so grateful. I've taken, like, I had the opportunity to take a couple disability studies classes in college and I learned a lot from that, but, um, I think it's really important to like start considering what other people's experiences are. I agree. I think education around this is essential. I I, I think it's insane that I had to learn about this way later in life, but um, yeah. right. that's the biggest part is people don't think about it until it happens to them mm -hmm. um, or somebody that brings it to their attention. Right. Um, yeah. And like, and going off of that, you know, I'm just wondering with, with you what is have there ever been times where you've tried to um kind of like for example all the obstacles you mentioned whether it was um clean sidewalks ramps doors changes in weather um you know any other like uh, comments or or terms you don't like to hear are there ever have ever been times where you try to bring this to someone's attention or try to get um assistance for any of these different obstacles and either you just got shot down or it was just um something you had to kind of leave leave alone yeah yeah so i think a big one is like, like if you've ever gone to a building where there's like this, the um, elevator is closed and then you have to take the stairs, like that's pretty hard, but you can't really do much about it. But one that sticks out to me is, so before I was a psychology student, I was a nursing student and that I didn't love. I changed for a lot of reasons, but one of them being um, I experienced what honestly was some ableism from my professors like a lot of me pointing out ableism in their language in um, calling people outdated terms not people but like patients like hypothetical patients or like reading um, sections of the the textbooks and rather than like critiquing and being like we don't use this language anymore they were just like this is what we do um, that sort of thing um, and not really taking from the lived experience of people who have disabilities which I think is so important but the main thing that happened is um, it was like well the pandemic is still like sort of ongoing um, it was like amidst the like 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 when we were quarantining um, and we still had class in person because this was nursing school and so they said we're still learning like, you know, like no one else had class in person, but nurses did at least at my school because um, they wanted us to get hands-on experience. So we had two in-person labs and I am immunocompromised. And I asked to, um, like I was wearing my mask, obviously, and I asked to, um, to um, distance from each other, like at least six feet. And they said, no, I'm, we can't do that. If you want to be a nurse, you're going to be around people who have diseases. And I said, oh, well, I didn't sign up to be exposed to this yet. Like it was in a lab where we were working on Sims, like, like dolls. Um, and, and then one where we were just like learning skills. And I was like, this is in the midst of the pandemic. Like, I'm not a nurse yet. Like, can we please just socially distance? And they said no. So then I wrote a professor an email about right before I got my clinical placement. And I said, hey, I just wanted to know if I could get some accommodations or if I could learn like 
at least a little bit more about the nursing program before I get my clinical placement because I'm immunocompromised. This might be a little hard for me. I might have to have some like adjustments for my schedule because of my uh, disability. And the response was maybe you should have gone into a different career. Yeah, I just, all of that was just honestly insane for me to hear considering you're in nursing and they're, you're literally learning about all the ways to be responsible yeah. in, in, I guess, I'm sorry, I guess I just really didn't expect that. Um, I Yeah, I didn't expect it either. I, I sobbed so hard. I eventually left nursing and I am happy I did because I think my dream ultimately changed and I'm a lot happier now um I like I want to be a, in, involved in community organizing like I'm using psychology to do more like social justice things whereas like in nursing I wanted to change the system like I wanted to change the the like healthcare system but it's really hard to change the healthcare system from inside the system um so now I want to be able to like what I'm doing now is like working outside of the system <laughs> No, I, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, truly, I really don't understand how, I think honestly, I've, and I've had this conversation with a lot of different people. I really just don't, I don't think people understand just how hard it is to be a nurse. Like it, it is so yeah. hard. Like you have to know just as much information, but do pretty much all the work. And so it's just, and then on top of that, you're treated terribly. Um, yeah. Nobody really, you know, checks or looks out for you, especially if you're trying right. to, you know, and then on top of that, I just think it's insane that in the, in the height, of course, we're still in the pandemic, but in the height of it, where yeah. people, especially as someone who's immunocompromised, how they could just dismiss that considering right. but it's a very dangerous, you know, situation yeah. to be in. So I really, I'm just genuinely surprised by that. But um, no, that that's something I totally agree. I, I think when you when you talked about trying to change the system from inside, I that's why I'm also in psychology actually too. But yes, nice. yeah, that was that was the biggest reason I didn't want to go into like politics or other things, just because right. I wanted to just be able to safely say what I want to say without having to exactly. work a job. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. I love that you brought that up because that is so real. I don't think people think about that enough. Um yeah. but yeah, I so so you know, having to make that decision. I know you said that, you know, you were sobbing, but how are you able to even, you know, finally be able to just say, okay, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to move on and like find something else that, you know, might pursue my, like, I just pursue my other interests of mine. How are you able to get to that, come to that conclusion? Um, I ended up like having to get like professional mental health treatment. Like I ended up in, in the hospital, um, because it was like kind of a mental breakdown. <laughs> But um, when I came out, I was like, you know, doing really intense therapy with my therapist. And I was like, I'm miserable. I'm ready for a change. I think I need to change majors. And it was like two or three weeks into the second semester of sophomore year. And so I was like, it's too late. I can't do it. And they were like, no, you have to do this. Like, if if you want to do it, you got to do it now. So I met with some really nice advisors and I got it changed and I didn't look back. No, if anyone's listening to this, I also like want to second that you need like I, I, my siblings have, I have a brother that changes major a bunch of times and mm -hmm. I could not imagine him in the first major at all. So yes, yeah, it, it's just something you got to go through, but I'm glad you came to that conclusion and I'm so happy, you know, to hear that, you know, because I feel like that's also the biggest fear for people is they don't know how they're going to bounce back from like, you exactly. know, one ver version of themselves yeah. kind of way. So yeah. yeah. Um, but no, going like continuing, you know, off of that, I I wanted to ask, like, when you were talking about these things and you know, kind of change and and just some of the feedback you've gotten, um, and some ways that you were, I guess, kind of like, what's the word, just ignored or just not taken seriously. What are some ways on a more positive aspect, maybe? Yes, yes. That you were able to, um, what's it called? That that you were able to get the help you needed. People heard you. Uh, maybe even some, you know, other things started to change in reaction to that. Like, what are what are some, you know, good things that happened from your um, advocacy or from you just kind of talking about how you feel? Um, I think like it's been really good to be able to like share my feelings and my experiences because I've been able to hear other people's feelings and experiences. And I think especially in the Midwest where um I don't know this is a common thing but it seems like in the Midwest like people are very raised very polite and maybe are um, a little uncomfortable with talking about emotions and feelings and hard things and I am I'm not from the Midwest and I'm like let's talk about it um 
And so I think it's it, my experiences led to a lot of really hard but really important conversations. Um, and then also, I like I've had a lot of really hard stuff happen to me, like medically wise. And each time I learn a little bit more about myself and a little bit more about what matters to me. And it, while it sucks, and I'm always I'm angry. Um, I think I learn more about how to advocate for myself. And then there's always the plus side, which I think is really good of when you find someone who has a similar experience with you. So like recently I've been encountering, I guess in the past couple years of college, um, like encountering friends of friends or, or new friends or um, just random people and being finding out that they have conditions that are similar to yours. And then being able to talk to them about that and being like, oh my gosh, I tried this medication when I was 10. And they're like, I tried that medication when I was nine. Wasn't it painful? That sort of thing. Or like people, having people who just went through diagnosis and you can use your experiences that you already know to assist someone who's in the process of just the beginning stages of their diagnosis. Um, I think that is what I have used as like that is more of my positive side of this as being able to be there for the relationships and be there for the people and making friends like just last week I was um hanging out at my it was my friend's birthday and one of her friends came up and she mentioned that she didn't want to come out because of some like autoimmune condition and it turned out that we had the same autoimmune disease and I was like see it like this it's just it's just like I, it's cool to have that understanding where we could meet each other. We didn't know much about each other, but we understood like where we were coming from. And that's pretty cool. No, I told, I love to hear that. That's exactly, even me, I, you know, I still have a hard time talking about, you know, my mental illness of, you know, mm -hmm. talking about depression, anxiety, whatever. It's hard because, you know, I just grew up in a, you know, we talked about mental health in a different episode, but, you know, like you said, like connecting with people is great because personally, I grew up in an area where you just, you, you don't talk yeah. about that, like yeah. very stigmatized, very much, you uh -huh. know, you need to trust in God and you can't be talking about, you know, anything else because it seems like you don't trust God. So it's just, you know, it's, it, now I feel like I'm in this kind of day and age, I feel like people are starting to be more comfortable with it. It's right. starting to become very, I, I, a little more normalized, you know, people just kind of are like, you know, especially in college when you're talking with other mm -hmm. students who are just like, oh, I'm depressed or I'm anxious, I don't care or whatever, you know, it feels good. Cause I don't, you know, you don't feel like you're the odd one out or that you have exactly. a problem that is just you that you should feel yeah. guilty about. So I love that you brought that up and that's why community is so important. So you can just feel it's so important. Yeah, yeah. Just, just feel normal. And when I say normal, it doesn't even mean like there's no real definition of normal. It's whatever it means for you. So to just feel normal with other people, be like, this yeah. is this is fine. Like, this is OK. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I love that. I actually wanted to ask more about, you know, some things people can do to support, you know, disabled people or movements or mm -hmm. um, uh, just kind of actions or uh, legislations. Even what are some things that people, you know, everyday people can do? Because if we're being realistic, you know, not everyone wants to join, you know, a whole group or wants to, you know, fight the good fight or whatever. And so, Absolutely. Yeah, right? yeah, I totally and understand. Exactly. And at the same time, though, you know, sometimes posting can only do so much. So what do you think are some, you know, realistic or, you know, even tangible ways people can can help make a difference in this specific um, area? I think definitely one big thing, like people are on social media all the time. And if your feed is all non-disabled people, that's a problem. Like you should be following disabled activists. Um, there are like so many people out there. Alice Wong is a big one. Mia Mingus. Um, um, some Leia. I don't know how to pronounce their last name. There are a lot of people out there um, who are like really wonderful activists who you should be following. Um, just like so that you it's important to hear disabled voices. Just like in any conversation, we shouldn't be centering the voices of people who aren't affected by the problem. And not, not saying disability is a problem, saying that like um, we should be centering the voices of the people who are affected by this. And um, so I think that includes like consuming media created by disabled people whether that's watching movies with accurate disabled representation and that means not disability like 
with all the disabled stereotypes. So oftentimes there's a stereotype of like the weak disabled person who can't do anything or like this disabled person who's just like um, taken advantage of that sort of thing. Like I want, I, I want to see all kinds of disabled representation. I want like people who are actually disabled to be playing these disabled characters. Like that is what you should be consuming and, and, and reading books by disabled authors, just like any other group of marginalized people like we need to be incorporating marginalized voices into our lives and then also I think um a big one is just advocating when you hear anything come up advocating for your friends advocating for disabled people around you um I'm a big proponent of healthcare for all because one of the big issues that uh that disabled people face is um social security and 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 uh, healthcare benefits not being able to cover, like there, basically there's a certain amount of, of like um, funds you can have. And if you pass that much, like you can't qualify for disability anymore. Um, and it's really tricky. And it means that a lot of people live with very little wages um, and don't have enough money to live. So if we had healthcare for all, we would be a lot more successful as a group of people. Um, and um, so maybe if you do wanna lobby for some legislation, think about that. Otherwise, I think just advocating for um, one thing that is like, like accessibility, like doctor's office tables that are accessible that can be lowered down. Like, um, like think about accessibility everywhere where you are. Like how would a different, like how would a person use this um, if they had a wheelchair? like in your office or in your school um, and, and advocate for that. And I think that's a way to help. Those are all great and very doable. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, honestly, like I, I really don't even think, except for like obviously lobbying for legislation. Maybe that might right. That's a, that's a big one. <laughs> but yeah. But everything else is so doable. And that's what I think really makes me so confused about why this is such a big issue still, because it doesn't seem like that far out of reach at all. Like right. it's very right. it's something you could implement tomorrow, you know? And okay. I think, um, do you think I have a question though, actually, because yes. I wonder if this is something maybe other people might think too. Do you think ever that it might be an issue of like budgeting or something of any like you know buildings or or you know uh just anywhere do you think that maybe that like people can't afford to make things super accessible for everyone because I think yeah. that so this is actually something that like I ran into when trying to make the door accessible at my office is some bun but like some um buildings have like the ADA fund attached to them so they're a general fund building which means that like the ADA will like if if it doesn't meet ADA requirements, the ADA general fund will pay to meet those ADA requirements. Um, and some buildings, like um, if you don't have the ADA general fund attached to that building, then the you will have to go to other like avenues to try and get that money to pay to make it accessible. So we had a really long issue with trying to get the door accessible in my office because at first we thought it wasn't a general fund building. So we were trying to find like scholarships or like grants or something to pay for the door. We're trying to find ways to get it because we didn't have money in our budget to pay for it. And it would have come out of our budget instead of the school. And so finally we figured out a way to get it used as a general fund building, which is just paid for by the ADA the ADA fund okay so I feel like you know do, do you know at all I mean this obviously if you don't it's totally fine but do you know at all if you said the ADA like general fund is that something that most buildings have access to or most or is there like certain requirements that are like I guess um what's the word trends you see with like certain kinds of buildings or in certain areas that might have access to that or don't and like maybe that's why some are more accessible than others yeah I think like I don't really know a ton about it um but I as far as I know I think it's more of the like um like does your school have like a union or like a space that's like really common space like that building should be like general fund um like the buildings that are like federal property or like government property those should be the buildings where a ton of people like school buildings a lot of them should be 
Um, this is just based on my little bit of knowledge I got from meeting with a couple of people. Um, I don't know a ton on the subject, but um, it maybe not, maybe not, it's like a house isn't going to be one, um, like maybe not a smaller business, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Have you, um, by any chance, yourself or met people that have um, not been able to find any money, whether that was through the fund or through scholarships and grants, um, and just had to kind of like let it go with whatever uh, building they're trying to make more accessible? I haven't met them that experience, but I think like when I, I know of people who have like had to fundraise for it um, or like have GoFundMes or that sort of thing to get accessibility but I haven't met anyone who was let go I it's possible that's happened though right right no I mean hearing all this makes me think that you know one solution could be that before you even you know finish building the building you make it accessible but yeah exactly (laughs) but also even if that's not the case I feel like you know like you said like there's so many ways to find a way to to make it more accessible so Mm -hmm. I think um you know to me I just I don't know I guess for me I just I always wonder like why this is still such a, like I said like I, multiple times throughout the throughout this is that I don't really understand how it's still a hang-up if mo- a lot of people are asking for it have um in your experience have you also kind of like what are I guess for me leaving like all the you know specific and you know like financial and you know uh political or social issues aside mm-hmm. what are some like I guess more well, not just social issues, but what are, what are some ways, um, or some, sorry, give me, I'm gonna have to edit this part out too, because <laughs> I'm the thing it's inside, but um, when you're with other people who are disabled, whether that's an invisible disability or not, what are just some more, like, I guess, less, God, I need to word this right, <laughs> um, maybe, what are some, some issues you face that aren't specifically due to just your body or to, um how the assumptions people uh say about uh assumptions people make about you or um the like physical limitations um you have what are things I guess within your own community um besides just you know having um the difference between like the you know justice and rights where you know you have the cis het men Mm -hmm. kind of controlling this and then you want to have more um you know POC etc diversity what are some other issues you find within your own community that you would like to um be brought up or have more attention and awareness to because I think that's something I've noticed within social movements is because you want to come as a strong like collective group of people or strong front you it's kind of scary to talk about the issues within that group I know Mm -hmm. like for me personally if like let's say I'm just talking about you know being you know black you know sometimes a lot of people don't want to start talking about um issues with being black and lgbtq plus or being black and because then it would take attention away from trying to uh fight for black liberation and we don't Mm -hmm. afford that you know what i mean so um do you ever like face that at all do you think that that's i think yeah i totally resonate with that i think like obviously we face there's a lot of issues with like assumptions made about people being like um disabled meaning certain things or there's issues with healthcare. there's issues with structures there's all those issues that you mentioned but then as far as what you're asking about like within the group I think a lot of times what I've noticed is there are people who like might be disabled in some way and think this is just an observation I'm not saying everyone does this but might think that that gives them an excuse to be maybe a little problematic in another way and um, they're like I can't be harmful to this group of people because I'm disabled and I'm like well no actually like if you are white you are still like you're you're being racist doesn't matter if you're disabled or not or like if you are a man and you're disabled you're still being sexist even if you're disabled, like that sort of thing, you know? Um, So that still does exist in the disabled community. And I think that's something that is ongoing. But a big thing that is being worked on is um, fighting for all disabled people. And that's what disability justice does is remembering that like, we're not, we're not giving up this fight when just like, um, with his, 
white, this white disabled man. I don't know. I just made up Tom. But when, when Tom is liberated from the societal issues, like, no, we're not fighting for Tom. We're fighting for everyone, you know? No, exactly. I, I thank you. I, that's something I've always wondered with like most movements in general, just because I think that's what's so frustrating about. That's what we talk about intersectionality a lot. Um, and you know, you can. I can't even imagine how hard it is to be disabled and black and poor. You know what I mean? Like that must cause that must be a lot, many more hurdles. You know what I mean? Um, but actually talking about that, I also think you know financially, like, um, I can I can see how much, or I can only assume how much easier it would be to be disabled with a lot of money compared to being disabled with no money like you said you know you don't have access to healthcare or social security or certain mm-hmm. things that might actually like like genuinely uh mean mm-hmm. life or death or even just quality of life like overall quality of life are there some um, movements or groups or certain things that uh you um have been a part of heard of or hope to join that might actually help with the financial side of you know assisting um people with disabilities um except instead of just you know like a gofundme but like actually being able to maybe have certain programs in place to um especially thinking about maybe people who are homeless with um disabilities mm-hmm. like how does that work you know how do they get the services they need um if they like financially can't you know afford it that's a big problem i think that you brought up as people who don't have a house um who who have disabilities, especially because um, the way that we currently treat unhoused people is we just kind of abandon them. Like we don't have the support or the resources we need for them. That's so messed up. Um, I don't really know of any services that directly provide support for like housing. I've always been a person who just gives money like through mutual aid uh, directly to the people because I think like they know best how to solve their own issues rather than like, like say, I think it's great to give to like like UNICEF or something, but UNICEF isn't in the community necessarily and doesn't know exactly what the community is dealing with. So I would give to the members in the community who know what the community needs. This is just my my view um, and what I do, but I'm sure that if you were to like do a little bit of digging, they would totally be able to find um, some organization that is helping with assistance of financial things because there are so many financial needs out there especially with like different medical devices different like diets that people need to have uh different like making houses accessible like I don't know about you but my house has two sets of stairs like I live in a crummy college house um that is way too expensive but cheapest that I could find (laughs) and um it, it I have many many roommates but it has two sets of stairs to get to the bathroom so I had a friend come to my house one time and he had crutches because he hadn't had knee surgery and like how is he gonna get to the bathroom that sort of thing like you have to make your house accessible so paying for that and paying for all of those things like that's a lot of money you're spending so yeah no, I I love that you brought up the idea of actually trying to like directly funnel money into the community or your your own community because um I'm not saying that like you know all organizations are corrupt and that you can't trust. No, them no, 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 no. I agree. Right. But you also don't know where it's going right away. Like you, right. you, I think there is a big benefit to, of course, still funding those you know groups and organizations, but also Absolutely. trying to you know like you said like just connect with the people around you. Um, and I also you know before. One last thing I want to talk about was just um I also want to talk about the instead of just talking about invisible disabilities and then physical disabilities, but also how they kind of come hand in hand. Like I've noticed yeah. that people with physical disabilities end up um uh either developing or they just kind of have their or, or already have mental illnesses that are exacerbated mm-hmm. from that um the frustration of not being able to do certain yeah. things. And you know, even me, like again, not as big a deal, but even me when I you know couldn't get to the bathroom or I couldn't get to my class or I had it took me like three times as long to do certain things I just got so like like it got very hard to just focus on school and do this and that I was just exhausted overall it was a lot I can't even imagine what that is all day you know for years your entire life so yeah I want to talk a little bit about that before you know we end this but for you like have you 
have you been able, do you think people put as much of an importance of getting like kind of like mental health counseling as an addition to to those devices or those physical like dire needs at all? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Like definitely there is a huge co-occurrence of mental illness with physical disabilities. Um, However, like I think it's taken a lot less seriously. Um, Just based on the stigma around mental illness, I think you know, there's this idea that we treat the physical illness and then the mental health side. We we don't yet see it as an illness that needs to be treated. Um, and I think there's a lot of stigma, especially around illnesses that aren't just like, I think that social media is sort of destigmatizing depression and anxiety. But like when I talk about my illnesses I have that are not depression and anxiety, I still get responses of like people who are like, what? and I'm like, we got to still just destigmatize all of these things, you know, like, um, and I think that we need to talk about things bigger than just going to therapy. Like we have to talk about like deep, like structural changes, like therapy is important, but also not everyone can afford therapy. Um, so we have to like really change the whole system, uh, which I know me saying is great, but like, how do we do that? Um, we're working on it, (laughs) but, um, I think that it is really important to consider all parts of the body and the mind. It's just um, sometimes it's hard to take care of the mind when people don't really understand how important that is. Um, I'm sorry. Can you hear the bells in the back? No. <laughs> okay, good. Because I was like, they go off a lot and I just did not want. No, but going back to what you said. I 100% agree. I actually was even, I remember I was able to speak with someone who considered themselves an abolitionist because, you know, that Mm -hmm. is kind of, you do have to change the system. That is why so many sociology majors are going insane because they just realized we got to reset everything. And so it's like, and it's a scary idea to be like, well, how are you, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like people are scared of change, you know, it's, it's not convenient for them, you know, but Mm -hmm. I I, I truly agree with that. I, I also think that, you know, therapy is great, but, um, it also seems like if there are so many problems and therapy is just trying to kind of help you go, th- I feel like there's, you should work on the root of the problem instead of trying exactly. to just like, you know, exactly. Like, yes, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like if the problem is the fact that you can't afford your rent, like you can go to therapy and be like, I can't afford your rent. And your therapist can be like, let's talk about it. But yeah. you still at the end of therapy can't afford your rent. Exactly. So instead what we should do is make like housing more affordable. That's what from, and we're both in psychology of course we believe you know therapy, yeah. but like you're it gotta be realistic like you can't just that's right. not the answer to everything so no I totally agree um yeah. we are we are getting around the time is there anything that that you want to say you want people to know or you want people to hear before we end this I don't know I think we covered everything you had a lot of really good questions Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate this so much. I, you know, I love being able to speak with you. I learned a lot. And this honestly just motivated me more to look into more of the things you were, you know, you're bringing up. Yeah. I was you know, taking notes the entire time. So I really am going to awesome. look into that. But um, thank you so much for even taking the time out mm-hmm. to meet with me. And, you know, you had a lot of great things to say. And, you know, I just, I wish you luck on everything that you've been thank trying you. to work thank on. You. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks again. Thank you.